see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Every year, PMMI meetings, like the annual meeting and the Executive Leadership Conference, bring together world-class speakers to address challenges facing the modern business. On this episode, we hear from 10-time author Cheryl Cran about onboarding new employees. Let's just say that using Cheryl's advice eliminates the day of paperwork hell with W-2 forms and dependents and how many dependents am I supposed to claim and meeting Joe from the mailroom and makes onboarding more of a 30- or 60-day process. I think you'll be surprised to hear her fondest onboarding experience as an employee. And when you're finished listening, why not head over to PMMI.org and register for the upcoming Executive Leadership Conference at the La Cantara Resort and Spa in San Antonio, Texas, April 16th through the 18th, 2023. So with all the fancy introductions out of the way, welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you just spoke at PMMI's annual meeting. Um, your, your topic was onboarding, but your background is your future work influencer. Expert. Yeah. Founder of Next Mapping. Yeah. Tons of books. Yeah. Ten books. Ten books. Yeah. Just extremely accomplished in speaking on not only work, but, but the future of work. So I guess we'll start on some of the things that you touched on out there, and um, and I'm sure some things will pop up in my head. But I, I was curious, I see onboarding, it's on my screen, and I'm seeing onboarding as the name of the session, and I, I, I'm just remembering onboarding when I got a job, and it's, you know, a bunch of how many kids you're claiming on your W-2 and things and paperwork all day, and it doesn't even feel like, it doesn't even feel like a day that's part of working yet. It just feels like busy work and paper. Please tell me that's not how it still is. No, because technology has completely changed that game. There, there's you know new apps, new ways of doing it that is much more specific, specifically for the Gen X, the millennial, mm-hmm. like user friend, uh, less of a fill out this form and more like question answer moving along in an app type process. Now, if organizations don't have that technology, um, I would say do that all in one day okay becomes, yeah you feel like a number you feel like you're just bombarded absolutely with all these logistics versus you know so what i would say is that first week and maybe every day of that week you're going over some form of documentation but not in one go because it's overwhelming it also feels desensitized it doesn't feel human to human absolutely and I, yeah if i look back at some of my onboardings it's like and you're you just feel like you're being integrated with this great big void of Corporate. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't feel like you're joining anything. It's like you said, you're just being kind of sucked into this vacuum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> into the matrix. Yeah, right. 
So is, you note that there's these various things available now, which is fantastic to hear, but from your, you know, travels and your speaking and your, are a lot enough people taking advantage of these or a lot of people do? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the, you know, the tech firms like the Amazons and the Twitters and such, that's all they're using because most of their teams are virtual and remote. So even to, to have an HR person direct that process is not happening. It's, it's a technology, you get a link and you go in and you fill it all in and it's done over a series of days. Yeah. So that is okay. right now. But I think, you know, to your point, I know for me, my very first job was with McDonald's restaurant mm -hmm. when I was 15 years old. And I'm 59 now, so we're talking 45 years ago. Um, and it was an exquisite onboard. It got back and they had it down. Really? They had, they had the um, what to expect, how to prepare before your first day of work. Like it was very organized and very set up for success. I'll always remember it because I remember feeling I felt part of the brand and the team right because of the way they did that. Like I said, they were ahead of themselves. Especially, like you said, you're rem remembering it. It was a memorable thing. And that yeah. would not be what I would picture from a quote unquote fast food restaurant. I would picture more what I described, but they instantly integrated you into their culture. Because in the, well, I mean, I think it's happening now too, but in those days, all they did was hire teenagers. Like it was a young workforce. Sure. So they had it in a system and they had, and their training, they were so um, perfectionist about their training. Like the McDonald's bag had to be facing, right. you know, all these things that they had all the details figured out, but it also made you feel like you were progressing. Like even now, how many years yeah. later, I'm really going, yeah, he had it down as far as integrating people into how to be successful, I feel. That's fair, which kind of explains a lot of their success as they're obviously such a, a big name that everybody recognizes. Very fascinating, especially I'm, now I'm just thinking of other like fast food places that you go to that might not have that attention to detail and tell like customer service nowadays we we notice these things you yeah. can see right away who's been onboarded properly and who hasn't who's been left to just you know they've got a warm body so he deal with exactly it. go stand at a register please so so a, a thing that i noticed about the onboarding thing that you, that you mentioned was and you kind of touched on it already is it, it shouldn't be a day and it should it even be a week? And I think you even mentioned it maybe a month. Like how long should that, or is it an ongoing thing? Like Yeah, so in my presentation, I talked about 30, 60, 90. Yes. So, and, and some organizations are actually doing pre-onboarding, which means as soon as that, that person's accepted the offer, a lot of that paper is all done before they even set their start date. It's already been done. That's, and now we can get right to integration into the culture, goals, success. Um, but my point was a lot of times onboarding is Somebody and we think, oh, they're good. And what I'm saying is we have to be much more intentional as leaders. We have to mm -hmm. be more focused on helping people be successful. So if I've hired you, know, I'm, I want to make sure we've got a 30-day measurement of our success, a 60-day, a 90-day. I want to make sure I'm talking to you weekly in those cycles about what you need, how you think you're doing. I want to be giving you candid feedback in those cycles. If you've done all those things, that person's got it. They're now ready to run. They're making decisions. They're skilled. But uh, the 90-day pressure off the person being hired because they've got a 90-day cycle for success, but it also gives the leader this, this plan of sustainability and consistency that helps that person succeed as well. Yeah, so, yeah. as you're saying, I'm just thinking it, you do, you get thrown in there and it's a month in, you're like, well, this person's been working here for a month or two months. They should have it now. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. And as you're, you're explaining, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, it's not and I'm guilty as charged course. because I have a millennial who works for me and it's been a year now. And last week, a few things happened. In my mind, I did exactly that. I'm like, it's been a year. Like I was like so frustrated. It's been a year. 
And I had to, you know, I, I practice what I teach and I had to go back and go, you know what, to, to, to be fair, this situation hasn't come up for at least six months. So, you know, you know how real-time mm-hmm. learning is. You haven't done something and then you've got to be reminded how to do it. So I realized that I needed to have a, a you know, I, I had sort of eased up on my one-on-ones over the summer. So it was time to have another. And so I did. And it's like, okay, let's recalibrate. Let's get refocused here. And I realize it's been six months. What do you remember about doing this when you did it six months ago? What don't you remember? As a leader, not just kind of going, you know, washing our hands of it and going, okay, right. we've done our bit. It, seeing it as an ongoing commitment to their learning and growing, but also for us to not sort of get to that place of, well, they should know. Should is another word, in my opinion. You know, they should know. Well, hang on a second. No, they, I, it's incumbent on me to ensure that they know. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it's, it's probably something I had down to get to, but it, it's another thing that I, I noticed um, in what you were saying, where when you say they should know that there's this assumption, you even said, I guess you used to be hired on skills versus being hired to train. And when you were hired on skills, it was like, well, this person's yes, that's exactly journalism, right. so they should know that what a dateline looks like, or they went to school as an engineer, so they should know how to use such and such program, or they said they knew how to use it. Like, that's my point when I said, never assume, never assume. So if somebody says to me, uh, yeah, I know how to use Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Rather than assume that they know, I say, could you show me what you know? Here's some some factors. Let's let's do one together. You know, so so that sort of situational right. interview or that real real skill assessment, so that we really know what we're dealing with. Right. Yeah. It also identifies the training gaps and it identifies how we can support that person to be successful as well. Which yeah. and that does play into what I was going to ask you because there's a lot of things. There's a couple of things you said in a good way that kind of turned the, the perceived either negative or the perceived the, just the perception in general. I think on a lot of the people in the audience's head and, and in my head, whether they were positives and the negatives or things that might have been viewed as negatives and the positives, etc. And one of those was that you were even describing don't necessarily hire based off of skills hire based off of the ability to be trained. Yeah, well, I think what, what you're speaking to is when I was mentioning multi-industry experience, right? With with millennials, that they, they jump around the jobs and, and there's nothing, you know, in the old days, you had to stay at a job for 20 years and that looked great on a resume. What could possibly look good when someone hands you a resume and says they worked at a place for a year and then another place for a year and another place in a year and your counter to that was great. Yeah, I, my counter to that was I want to interview that person because I want to know what, what, what perspective do they have on this business that they've learned from three different companies yeah. <laughs> it's a huge advantage and so i think that you know shifting that attitude to that uh you know from from that but the multi-industry experience is really more about uh millennials have been changing jobs more quickly you, uh, there was a gentleman in the audience that said well isn't the pendulum swinging back you know to people you know wanting a job or needing a job or aren't we going to go there no no, because what's happened is the trends that I shared, the social trends, people, human behavior has fundamentally shifted. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy, people are coming from self-actualization. They're not making decisions based on security alone. More and more people are self-actualizing. They go, would I sell my soul to work in this organization just to make money? I don't think so. And that's what people are doing on a daily basis. They are asking themselves, why do I work where I work? Where, you know, why, how much money am I making? Is it enough money? Right. You know, what are they asking me to do? Is Am I being compensated for what they're asking me to do? You know, so the worker is holding a lot of power. Yeah, I, I remember another speaker and they didn't, it was somebody else's quote, but it was something like it, it's the war for talent is over and the talent won, kind of. Pretty much that sums yeah. it up. 
It's and, a good one. And I guess the, the counter of that is you want to interview this person that's worked for these different companies. How do you know they're going to stay at yours? You don't but you have control over how you lead them to want to stay. And that's my whole point in today's right. presentation is be the leader they want to stay for. So that's being inspiring, sharing what you know, having those regular candid conversations, mm -hmm. invested in their career growth, helping them achieve, helping them. That, that means for me as a leader, if somebody says, I want your job one day, rather than be threatened by that, okay, let's make that happen. But here's what has to happen before you get there. You know, so it's, that's, that's, that they're going to stay longer. I, I, I wrote my my generations book in 2010. Did the research then, and a lot of what I said then is happening now. And really, that they want leaders who who are not threatened by them. They want leaders who want to help them succeed beyond them. So if you can be that egoless leader, if you will, or that servant that sees it not as a threat but as a reality, it gets to be a little dynamic. I like being held to that standard. You know, I, I like being kind of like, oh, you want my job? Okay, well, let me tell you the story about my job and what that means and what's required. And do you have that commitment? And, you know. That's yeah. interesting. Just from a historical, I don't know, American capitalist. I know, I know. Is, <laughs> it seems like that's- Intuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's flipping it kind of on its upside down of historically, that would be terrifying that this young and up and comer is right. coming for my chair. Right. Right. But look at all the other social social change that we're going through. Right. And so what I would say to you is I'm I'm a driver, so I believe in profit. I believe in growth. I believe that there's no limit to those two things, but not at the expense of people. People first. Right. They, we can all share in the success. It doesn't mean one person gets to win. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that I know that is kind of rocks the boat for some people. Yeah, oh, I, it's, I'm good with it, but I know that it rocks the boat for some people. Another thing you said, and controversial is not the word to use um, for this, but I just peaked in my, in my mind the second you said it, where it's not necessarily good to have a family-like work environment. Yeah. So yeah, and I did see a few eyebrows raised yeah. when I said it. I could see a few people looking at each other and, and stuff. Here's the thing. Um, the family business was an output of the baby boomer generation. Um, you know, and, and even from a succession planning standpoint, a lot of families are struggling with getting their kids to want to take over the business. And that's within a real family. And the reason for that is, again, is we had previous generations, baby boomers and the traditionalists before them, that a lot of the work they did was out of obligation. My husband is a fourth, was a fourth generation banker. He went into banking at the age of 18, not because he wanted to, but because his dad said, you're going to be the fourth generation banker. So he lasted, I think, 10 years or something, and then he went on and, and did something else. But what I'm saying is the obligatory work was a function of a post-war, had to pay the bills, had to feed our families. Uh, reality. And then when the baby boomers had their kids, and they were the millennials and the Gen Xers, they didn't want their kids to suffer the hardship they did. So we made our kids' lives easier. We made it easier. We said, you can stay home as long as you want to. If you don't like your degree, go get a different degree. Mm -hmm. But we've literally given them the freedom of choice to say, hey, you know, so, um, so yes. So my point in saying that is because of the consulting work I do, I've seen the dysfunction of a family culture. And as a coach and a consultant, when I come into a culture and they say we're family, I can tell you when I have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the leaders, I hear things like, oh, we're a family. So, you know, we've, I've been to his house for dinner, so he would never fire me or, and then that's real. Like that's truth. Right. Well, in the, post-digital transformation that we're all in, cloud migration, getting rid of legacy systems, we can't afford to have non-performers. We can't afford to have people going, well, it's 
a part of the family. I'll just be a hanger on. So that's where I'm coming from from that is that if we're a friendly performance-based culture, then there's a, there's a, a, a accountability. And, and even in family businesses that I've worked with, I've changed it from we're a family business to we're a friendly performance-based culture. And they like it because now you can hold each other accountable. Now you can run a business, right. not hamstrung by these psychological subterfuges of saying that, because as you and I know, all families have dysfunction. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I have teenagers, and I think I would absolutely fire them <laughs> it was possible. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I understand the way you're, it is. Like, it, you, it's painted as a family is. It's a good culture. A yeah, and, I, and I get that. Mm-hmm. I do get that. But, but we have to recognize the dark side of that as well. That's what I'm saying. Right. So, and if you do recognize, like I've had family businesses, once they got that piece and they had the meeting with all employees and said, look, we're friendly performance-based culture, sure. even though you're related to me, we're having the tough performance conversations. Yeah. And like, we're, again, and we're, we can get along, we can be friendly, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to tell you if you're doing something wrong and vice versa. Very, Very interesting. Right. So you, you also talked about um, hybrid, which a, a lot of people are trying to do, a lot of people are resisting. We come from a very traditional industry, manufacturing, where some people obviously have to be in there, they're working on on the floor, on you know equipment and things like that, but other people that might not be um, are resistant to a hybrid model. Is there, is there a definition on a way to make it work? Is there instances where it just can't work? Like, what have you experienced as we've sort of come out of, you know, we had a shutdown with the pandemic in the beginning where everyone kind of had to, and we've sort of evolved since, and a lot of people don't want to go back. Where do you stand on, like, what works for Well, first of all, hybrid's here to stay, which I reiterated a few times, because I do know that that's how people feel. Like, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, we're still, there's a lot of polarity around it right now. Um, but even pre-pandemic, as we saw the move towards manufacturing automation, robotics, systemization, there was a lot of remote work being able to be in the in the agricultural industry right now. There are tractors that are remote controlled, uh, you know, organizations that normally would fly there, flying drones remotely. There's a lot of examples of things that we didn't think could be done remote are, are going to be based on technology. So the reason I say hybrid is here to stay is goes back to what I said earlier around human behavior trends is the genies out of the bottle. People, prior to the pandemic, people were like, I want remote. And organizations said, we can't do that. We don't have the infrastructure. Pandemic happens, we make it work. In fact, some companies were more profitable than ever mm-hmm. before, depending on what that, that, that business was. So they're, they're right now, there is no right way to do hybrid. I can't give you a formula. I can't right. even point to a company that's doing it right because every organization is unique to its parameters. So the question, one of the questions from the audience is, how does it apply to blue color? I hate to break it to you guys, but blue collar, white collar, it's no collar in the future of work. It's technology and it's people, honestly. Mm-hmm. So when I get, you know, when I see eyebrows yeah, right yeah, exactly. it's, it's not going to be defined by blue collar, white collar, tech collar. We're mm-hmm. all, in fact, Steve Jobs said this we passed, we're all going to be technology companies in the future, and that is what's happening. Yeah. So as that continues to happen, then hybrid's going to adapt. And so what we do at X-Mapping is when I go to an organization, we look at their dynamics and we look at their structure and we go, okay, Let's see how hybrid could work best for you. I will say is what we're finding is the three days in office, two days home is what most companies are doing right now. The other thing we've noticed is the days that people are in office are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the days that 
how it was Monday, Friday. And there was a comic in the New Yorker that showed uh, somebody showing up at the office on a Friday. And she said, I love coming into the office on a Friday. Nobody's here. So we're really, and then so that doesn't mean that we've landed anywhere permanent yet. Right. It, it means that everybody's finding their way. But it goes back to, from my perspective as a consultant, assess your work. Who's suited for in office? Who's suited for remote? Who's suited for both? And organize the work accordingly. And make sure you're equalizing the benefits and the attributes. If somebody chooses to work in office full time, what do they get in exchange for that? Do they get half a Friday off? Do they get extra vacation? Do they do four day work? We've got to be looking at the human impact of hybrid. And that's why a lot of leaders resist. Let's face it, it was easier, but it's it's unrealistic to expect people to want to work that way moving forward. Especially, as I said from stage, you know, fifty one percent of the workforce is female, and women have benefited from the pandemic. Now they're working more, so the, the demands on their time has gone up, but the freedom and flexibility of hybrid has allowed them to excel in the workplace. So that's why I'm saying it's not going to go away. Over half of the workforce is saying this needs to be a thing. And, and it also touches on something you said where the, the lack of um, people to hire is not something that's going away anytime no. soon. So being resistant to these concepts exactly is not going it's just going to make it worse for you you're just going to be late to the party and then you'll be scrambling so you know with my work because i am about future of work whenever i keynote or work with a client i want you to be future ready now i want a future proof i want you to be competitively uh, agile and so you can resist you know you can push back and go no not us but i'm telling you it will impact your ability to recruit it will impact your ability to retain um, you saw that I did polling in my session and I asked them, you know, how many of you are losing people? Number one was we're losing people to other remote opportunities. There's your answer. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. to me, the pushback is a no preference pushback versus a accepting reality pushback. And also it's it's a, as you said, it's a personal preference versus what is working to, like you said, to drive profits or for your business. It's, it's counter productive for your own business, which is a fascinating way to to look at it, I guess. So I guess the the perfect question that I know someone also asked you out there that I think would be a good wrap this up is someone's leaving. What do you ask for an exit interview? Like, what are you asking them? What's the most important thing? Yeah. And and so hopefully I can remember what I said, but there's, to me, there's three questions. Mm -hmm. Why are you leaving? The truth. Tell me the truth while you're leaving. Number two, what can we do better? And number three, would you come back? And here's the thing that when you say that is a going back again to, you know, I'm in my late 40s, so go, I'm Gen X, I guess, but going back to you don't burn bridges. You don't, so you're not going to say anything negative. You're just, you know, you found a better opportunity, quote unquote. Politically <laughs> correct. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So how do you rectify that in your exit interview? So again, if I've been a top level leader, a master leader, and I've built rapport and I've built transparency, um, those questions wouldn't be a surprise to me. Okay. It's all about how I've communicated with you. But if, if, if I'm honest with myself, and let's say you don't feel comfortable telling me that, I would get somebody else to do the exit interview. So I might ask HR to do it, or I might ask somebody else on the team to do it. But I want to know, because that, that, that data helps me plan my future in my department as a leader. So let's say you said, yeah, I would come back. Okay, well, you know what? Go, be successful, take two years. Let me know how that goes for you. Let's stay in touch because you're constantly building your pipeline mm-hmm. of future people to work with you, right? And again, I've seen that happen where a person goes, he's gone for a year or two years, comes back and brings tons of value, 
because they've gone in and done and brings that back to the organization as well. So, yeah. Well, that's, this was, this was fun. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to extend your uh, presentation a little bit longer to talk with us, Cheryl. This was, this was very interesting and your answers and the, the things that you see and are explaining, you do it in a way that does, it, it spins things that you, a lot of people, even I am probably predisposed to think of as negatives or, or, you know, positives or could be positives or opportunities that we should be taking advantage of. So thank you again, Cheryl, for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.